There's the, the promise of the gospel we are reminded of every week that those who confess their sins, which are many, and who turn to Christ, the Savior whom God has sent, have the forgiveness of their sins. And they worship God with boldness and with gladness because we've been bought by His blood. So let's then worship Him with that, uh, with that gladness. We worship Him in the first place by opening His Word that He might speak to us. So let's do that also now. Our scripture reading... This morning comes from Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28, we'll read verses 15 through 43. Hear the word of God to Moses. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod you shall make it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine fine twined linen you shall make it. It shall be a square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like gold of pure gold, or twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall make the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree, and and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue, It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it, with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. 
You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall be regular... It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh, and they shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. So far, the reading of, of, from Exodus, excuse me. Then we'll also turn uh, briefly to the New Testament, to 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Here the Apostle Peter writes to Christians scattered abroad, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we reflect on all that we've read, let's sing from hymn 12. That's the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. Uh, Hymn 12, stanzas 1 through 3. The text to which we'll give our special attention is Exodus 28, the verses 29 and 30. Uh, we'll read those shortly uh, as, as we get into the sermon, so uh, we'll, we'll hold off on that for just a moment. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as these men here prepare for Uh, the office and calling that God has given them, uh, and as we, as 
congregation, prepare to receive them as the office bearers whom God has set over us, uh, it may be good for us to take a bit of a journey back in time to the days of the, the priests uh, in the time of, of, of Moses and Aaron. Uh, there in the priestly system, much of what happens today within the church by the office bearers is foreshadowed and portrayed. Uh, in fact, it's, uh, it's noteworthy, a substantial part of our Bibles is devoted to recording these sorts of Seemingly insignificant details. Uh, The details of the tabernacle and the priestly system. And then later on when you get to David uh, and Solomon, the details of the temple and all the different uh, things, the vessels and the instruments that were used in the temple. Uh, To many Christians today, it's sort of an awkward fact, an awkward reality uh, that that we really don't know what to do with these parts of, of Scripture. Uh, and, and it's a fairly large part of Scripture. Uh, it, it's perhaps a portion that we, we sort of skip over in your personal devotions or your family devotions. Maybe you just uh, skip over those chapters because you say, I don't really know what to do with them uh, as we read them. But if we do that, we do that to our harm, uh, skipping over these parts. Because much of the rest of Scripture, uh, Old and New Testament, and especially I think here of the language of the prophets uh, and the apocalyptic literature, as you get to books like Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, uh, those books are built upon the symbols, images, colors, and numbers that you find here in the priestly system. Uh, and, And so we lose a lot, actually, in our mature understanding of the rest of Scripture when we gloss over or don't pay attention to uh, these parts of Scripture. Now, we read, it was only a couple of weeks ago, we read the story of King Ahaz uh, in in 2 Kings 16. Uh, And one of the things that that you noticed there was the language of patterns. Uh, he, He saw an altar in Damascus, and he loved it, and he sent its pattern back so that it would be reconstructed according to the pattern he had seen there in Damascus. And, and that's, that language is contrasted with the language you find here in Exodus, where everything is built according to the pattern that God showed Moses on the mountain. Uh, what's with the language of patterns? Well, because everything was built in a certain way, designed according to a certain pattern to reveal the pattern of God's plans and purposes for salvation. It was intentional how everything was designed. Uh, So the whole of the priestly system, the tabernacle, the clothing, uh, the, 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 the instruments within the tabernacle, all of these were set up uh, to tell a story, to preach gospel news as a foreshadowing of what was still to come. And, and we, we recognize, especially when we get to the New Testament, all of these things find their perfect fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, for example, the, the sacrifices, we as Christians know this well, the sacrifices like the Passover lamb, uh, these pointed forward, did they not, to the Passover lamb that is uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, the great bronze altar, if you remember that from, from King Ahab, has the bronze altar that stood in front of uh, the temple. It pointed to the, the need for an unholy people as they come into the presence of the holy God uh, to 
see their sins atoned for. Uh, you, you do not come into his presence except by sacrifice and by blood. Or as you move further into the temple, uh, you go through the doors and you see there in the temple the golden altar of incense, uh, which, which constantly burned with sweet, pleasing incense. And it was a picture of the sweet, pleasing communion that we enjoy with God through the Holy Spirit uh, that can only exist after you've gone past the sacrifice, after you've gone past the bronze altar. Uh, so the, the, the temple and the tabernacle, the whole system and indeed the buildings themselves point forward to Christ. Uh, Christ himself said this, right? He said, I am the temple. Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Speaking of his own body. Uh, he is the place where God dwelt on earth. If you read John, uh, the first chapter of John, it literally says God tabernacled among us. In the person of Jesus Christ. He dwelt among us. Uh, Christ is the place where God has dwelt on earth. And he is the one through whom, like the temple, through whom you go to meet God. That's why we offer our prayers in Jesus' name. Uh, so, so, so also the priests, uh, with all of their roles and the, even the clothing that they wore, uh, point forward to the high priestly role fulfilled by Christ. Uh, we've seen this as well in our, our recent study of the very title, Christ, which means anointed one. Uh, and and we've, we've focused for one sermon on the role of Christ as high priest. And we've seen not only does he fulfill the role of, of the high priest, uh, but he fulfills the entire system. In addition to that, the other thing we saw as we looked at Christ as the, uh, as the anointed high priest is that we with him together united to him, are also anointed and consecrated as priests. Uh, We share that priestly role. And we saw some of what that means, offering sacrifices of thanksgiving, our very lives, praying on behalf of God's people, uh, these sort of priestly uh, tasks. Uh, And we want to bear that in mind, too, as we look here at Exodus 28. This points to Christ, and it finds some fulfillment in us, who are united to him. So now as as these brothers, uh, as elders and deacon, prepare to take on what is in many respects a priestly task, uh, it would be good for us to to dwell for a moment on the priestly task as it was set out by Moses many years ago. Uh, Now we read from Exodus 28, which focuses particularly on the high priestly garments. uh, Because even the garments themselves are embroidered with meaning. See what I did there? They're they're, they're full of of meaning. Uh, And the garments themselves preach a sermon. They preach about the work of Christ. Uh, Now, as you look at the garments and you think about, you try to envision what they look like as you read that description, uh, the thing that stands out is these garments uh, for the priests are a combination of both military, kingly, and priestly elements. 
Uh, perhaps you notice the term breast piece that's, that's emphasized or, or mentioned again and again. Uh, and it, it, as you think about something that's worn on the breast, you think of uh, what soldiers would have worn into battle, a breastplate uh, for their protection. Uh, there, there's a certain military connotation to, uh, to this garment. Uh, and they're also kingly garments. You know, they're decorated with gold, uh, with precious jewels, with fine linen, uh, royal colors, blue and purple and scarlet. These are royal colors, uh, very, very expensive colors to produce in the ancient world, uh, and, and as well as these rare jewels. Uh, and of course, there are also priestly garments. Uh, they're to be used in, in priestly service. Uh, so the garments themselves, they say something about who the high priest is supposed to be. Uh, something about uh, his identity, uh, not just as one who offers sacrifices or who intercedes in prayer for the people, but also one who leads them like a king and one who engages in a sort of spiritual warfare like a soldier. Uh, in fact, it, it happened quite frequently that the priests did end up doing military work. They were a guard around the, the tabernacle. Uh, and and uh, you, you actually quite often see them engaging in, in literal military work. You think of the high priest Jehoiada, if you remember from a few chapters back in Kings. The high priest Jehoiada gets up and takes charge of the troops to overthrow the wicked queen Athaliah. And he's telling the troops, you know, this column's going to stand there and that column's going to stand there. These were military men. Uh, or, or you think uh, of, of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of, of Aaron, uh, who was the high priest who, who saw a, a Moabite, or, uh, an Israelite man committing immorality with a Moabite woman, and he went and grabbed a soldier's spear and, and killed uh, the two of them. They, they, they were strong and, and mighty men. They were not strangers to battle, though their particular task was to engage in a spiritual warfare uh, on behalf of God's people. Now, our text focuses especially on that breast piece, uh, in which were set 12 stones, uh, each of them unique gems, which are said to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I'll say this from the outset, not much is actually known about those 12 gems, uh, in part because most of them are entirely unique Hebrew words that don't occur anywhere else. Uh, and, and so scholars are not entirely sure which gems they actually ref- sort of best guesses based on similar words in other ancient languages. Uh, but the picture, uh, whatever the specific identity of the gems is, uh, the picture provided by the 12 gems together is not hard to discern. Uh, They represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and like jewels, like gems, each of those tribes are precious and unique in the eyes of God. Uh, They are, uh, like we sang from the Song of Moses in in Deuteronomy 32, uh, the apple of God's eye. They're precious in God's sight. He regards them as His treasured possession. Uh, That's what these jewels symbolize, each of them unique, each of them precious. And verse 29 tells us why they're there on that breastpiece. So now I want to read our text uh, from Exodus 28, verse 29. 
It says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in, that, in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Aaron's burden, if I may use that word, Aaron's burden as a high priest was to bear the tribes of Israel upon his very heart, literally, as he went, in to go, uh, went to go in before the Lord, to bring them to remembrance regularly before God. Uh, you notice our text speaks about two different ways in which Aaron does this. Uh, in, in one since he's, he's bearing the judgment of Israel on his heart. Verse 30 says that. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart. Uh, and he did that primarily, of course, by offering their sacrifices, where God judged their sins, where judgment came upon them at the bronze altar so that it would not fall upon the people themselves. Uh, so Aaron's task as a priest was to, uh, to, to offer the holy sacrifices that we know point forward to Christ. It was a holy calling to stand, uh, as it were, between God and His people, to be in that very dangerous place uh, between God and His people, to intercede for their judgment, so that they might be able to stand before God in peace. Uh, He also bears their judgment uh, in respect to the will of God. It mentions the Urim and the Thummim, uh, which were two stones. We also don't know too much about them. Uh, But they were two stones which God had given to the priest to use, uh, which would be cast like dice uh, and would show the will of of God. Uh, So Aaron's priest uh, is to bear their judgment, not just in terms of offering sacrifices for their, for their sins, but also to judge over them, uh, to rule over them according to the will of God as it was revealed by these uh, Urim and Thummim. Uh, he was to know the will of the Lord and to lead the people in it. Uh, so he is, to bear, he is to bear them on his heart for judgment. There's yet another sense where he also bears them before, on, on his heart. That's in verse 29. Uh, where it says he was to bear them on his heart and bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. What's that referring to? It's referring to prayer. He's to pray for them. Uh, The twelve stones were there literally upon his heart to be a constant reminder to pray for God's people. Uh, He was to bear their concerns, their misery and their plight upon his very heart, and never cease to pray for them. Now, you don't have to read uh, very long in the book of Exodus before you discover that the people for whom Israel was responsible to pray and, and to judge were not always a very lovely or, or lovable people. Uh, we, we saw this as well in the Song of Moses. Uh, he's not exactly flattering to, to the people. Uh, he calls them a, a twisted, crooked, senseless, and foolish generation. Those are the people that Aaron was responsible to care for. Uh, there certainly would have been days when Aaron would not have felt like offering sacrifices for these people or praying for these people. 
Uh, I'm sure there would have been many times that Aaron would have wanted to quit. But uh, it, it would have been precisely on those days that that breast piece was most necessary to remind Aaron these 12 tribes, uh, for all their faults, are precious in God's sight. Uh, you are to pray for them. That is your calling, your burden, whether you feel like it or not. They are precious in God's eyes, even if they're not very lovable, because God has made covenant with them. Uh, so, so Aaron would have needed this as a constant reminder because of the people. He also would have needed it as a constant reminder because of his knowledge of his own heart. You don't have to read long also in Exodus to uh, discover that Aaron and his sons were not exactly perfect people either. Uh, in chapter 32, uh, I think, um, later on anyway in Exodus, uh, you, you see Aaron uh, and the people making a golden calf. Uh, and you see Aaron's cowardice on display there in giving in uh, to, to the people. Um, uh, doing what they wanted. Uh, you see his deception on display when Moses comes and sees the calf and says, what happened? Uh, Aaron says, well, I, just, I took all the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came a calf. I don't know. Uh, you, you see him uh, being manipulative, being even a liar. Uh, or, or you read in, in Numbers 12 of, of how Aaron and Miriam grew envious of, of Moses and his position and started to speak evil against him. Uh, they were not lovely or lovable people either in themselves. Uh, in that respect, too, Aaron's clothing would have been a constant reminder to him uh, that this is your calling and responsibility from God, notwithstanding your own many flaws and weaknesses. It's not something you're given because you're worthy of it in yourself. Uh, these clothes are designed and given by God, uh, not clothes that Aaron was to make for himself. Uh, in, in fact, the, the later part of the chapter, and perhaps you noticed at the very end of Exodus 28, it speaks even of the undergarments that Aaron and his sons were to wear, uh, which would cover the nakedness of Aaron and his sons as they ministered on behalf of, of the people uh, to God. Uh, they had their own shame and their own sins that needed covering in the sight of God. Uh, and, and that clothing, too, uh, you see there also a picture of the, the covering, the atoning work of Christ's blood, uh, covering our sin, covering our shame, making us fit to serve in the presence of God. Aaron and, and his sons needed that even in the undergarments to remind them of their sin and their shame, but also God's covering uh, for them. He, he, he covers them so that they may serve in His presence. Uh, so the clothing taken as a whole was to be this constant reminder to Aaron and his sons and, and the priests to follow uh, that although you don't deserve this calling, yet God has called you to it. And although they're not lovely, lovable people that you serve, yet they are precious in God's sight. He's made covenant with them. And although you may not always feel like doing this work, nonetheless, it is your responsibility for which God has called you and for which he has also equipped you. I trust you can see where I'm going uh, with this uh, by now. Uh, but perhaps before we get to the application, we want to see how this ultimately points forward to Christ. 
Otherwise, we'll end up ultimately missing the point. Uh, The book of Hebrews reminds us uh, that these high priests were still only a shadow, only a type of Christ. They would pass away generation after generation, uh, and and many of them also went astray. Some of them failed miserably in in their callings. Uh, Yet their office points forward to the office that Christ himself would fulfill. Uh, he, he as the perfect high priest, the fullness of God dwelling in man, standing truly be- between God and man, bearing judgment of the, bearing the judgment of the people and also praying, interceding for them. Now what we see, uh, even pictured in these clothes, is a picture of the work of Christ. Uh, the pattern after which these garments were designed, is a pattern that's meant to help us to see Christ. It points to the redeeming work of of Christ, who stands before God the Father uh, with with us, His people, on His very heart. He carries us uh, like precious jewels, each of us unique in His eyes. He carries us upon His heart as He goes to minister uh, before the Father. Now, you think here of, of John 17. It's often described as the, uh, that chapter is called the high priestly prayer of Christ. Uh, and it, it's also one of the most intimate glimpses uh, into the relationship between the Father and, and the Son. Uh, and, and there in that prayer, we see Jesus coming before the Father with His people on His heart. That whole prayer and that whole chapter is Him praying for His people, praying for those whom God has given Him. Uh, and we see Him coming before the Father, interceding, saying, God, protect them. God, shield them. Uh, I know you're not taking them out of the world, but guard them while they're in the world uh, so that they would not be lost. Uh, He's doing what a high priest is, is supposed to do. Uh, The book of Hebrews also details in in many, many ways how all of these things find their fulfillment in in Christ. Uh, It tells us uh, that he is a merciful and faithful high priest. Uh, We'll get to those terms in in just a minute. Uh, But it, it means he is an effective and a righteous priest, unlike Aaron and his sons. He's truly righteous in himself. And he's one anointed by God who then takes responsibility, the most manly thing a man can do. Take responsibility. Christ does that for his people, for you and me, uh, for each of us, and, and for our families. We are to Christ like precious jewels that he sets upon his heart, saying, God has made covenant with these people, and I will love them, and I will be merciful to them, and I will serve them because of that covenant. Uh, the amazing thing in the book of Hebrews is it tells us, uh, it tells us that Christ was not ashamed, he was not ashamed to call us his brothers. Uh, even though we can be, let's be honest for a moment, we can be as unpleasant and unlovely and unlovable as the people of Israel were, uh, yet Christ, as a merciful and faithful high priest, identifies with us. Uh, he says, These are my people. I bear them upon my heart. Uh, And he bears our sin and our suffering on our heart, just like Aaron had to bear the judgment of God's people on his heart. Now, these two two terms, merciful and faithful, are chosen very carefully, where Hebrews says he's a merciful and faithful high priest. Uh, Because those are the two qualities that enable a priest to be constant 
in his service. He has to be merciful. Uh, He has mercy for those whom God has placed upon his heart. If you're not merciful, you can't fulfill that calling. And he must be faithful in in that he honors his calling and responsibility before God. So he's merciful to God's people. He's faithful to the God who's called him. Uh, That's what a priest needs to be. And, and, and that really is what this chapter in Exodus 28 is all about. It describes the, the details of the high priestly clothing, uh, all of it intended to preach a visible, visual sermon about the work of Christ. Now again, as we, as we looked at, at Christ fulfilling that high priestly role a few weeks ago, uh, we saw that part of what's implied by this title Christ uh, is not only that he is the anointed high priest, but that we united to him are also anointed as priests in a similar way. Now what that means is all of us, I'm talking not whether ordained or not, all of us bear this same responsibility in Christ to bear the people of God upon our hearts, uh, to, to carry one another on our hearts constantly, regularly, before the Lord. Uh, We're called with that responsibility. Uh, But here, this calling is particularly relevant now for office bearers, for elders and deacons, just like uh, the priests of old. Uh, One of the unique ways in which this priestly task is carried forward into the New Testament age is in your distinct offices as priests or as, as elders and deacons. Now, of course, as elders and deacons, you don't offer atoning sacrifices. You don't do what the priests of of old did. Uh, That sacrifice has been offered once for all in Christ. Uh, You don't bear the judgment of God in that regard anymore. Uh, Nor do you have in your pockets Urim and Thummim that you take out when anyone asks you a question and you toss them and you say, well, here's what God uh, says. Uh, Nor do you do that. With the outpouring of the Spirit, uh, we are no longer to be dependent on these sorts of external devices. The will of God is to be written on our very hearts. You think of uh, Paul praying in so many of his letters that that his people would would know the will of God, that it would be inside them. Uh, That's why also in, in Scripture... The, the casting of lots ceases uh, with, with, with the, the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. There is no more uh, use of these sorts of devices. Uh, so you don't bear the judgment of the people in those regards, but you do in this sense, particularly you as elders, uh, you are to shepherd the souls of God's people as those who give an account. You bear their judgment. Uh, you are responsible for their spiritual well-being before God. Uh, you are also called to judge and to rule over them uh, with, with all compassion, uh, as, as Peter reminds us, you rule over them not domineering over those in your charge, but, but carrying your calling eagerly uh, with the word of God, not the Urim and Thummim, but the word of God, which is written on your hearts, is to be then your rule by which you also rule over God's people. And the high priest uh, on the other side uh, did not merely bear the people of God on their hearts for judgment. They also bore them for remembrance, that is, for prayer. Uh, as elders and as deacons, this is your calling as well, uh, to, to bear on your hearts the burdens 
of God's people and to bring them regularly, constantly before God in prayer. Uh, Their joys are to be your joys. Their suffering is to be your burden. Uh, Their problems, so to speak, are your problems. Uh, And that means your most important responsibility before everything else uh, is to bring the concerns of God's people before God's throne. Uh, Truly, it is the, the most important aspect of your calling and responsibility to pray for God's people. Indeed, the the, the foremost identifier, the easiest identifier of a healthy church leadership is whether or not that leadership is in constant prayer. As elders and as deacons, then, uh, your service and the service of the elders here, uh, your service to the congregation does not consist of what you do with your, respons- uh, with, with your uh, abilities. Uh, your service to God's people is to bear them on your hearts before the throne of God, to bring them to remembrance that He would care for them. You hear that from the Apostle Paul or Peter as well. Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Well, elders and deacons, cast your anxieties, which are for God's people, upon Him because He cares for them. That's what these jewels signify. He cares for them. They're precious in His sight. Uh, you think also the Apostle Paul, uh, how often he writes of his prayers for uh, the congregation to whom he writes. It's almost uh, always the, how the way he opens his letters. He says, I give thanks to you, or for you constantly when I bring you in remembrance before God. Uh, that is your utmost calling uh, to, to pray. Uh, you think also the words of, of the, the priest prophet uh, Samuel in, in 1 Samuel 12, verse 23. Uh, the people, after they realize they've sinned in asking God for a king, uh, they, they come before Samuel and they say, uh, pray for us. And, and Samuel says, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. It's a sin when the leadership of God's church fails to pray. Uh, So elders and deacons, that's your foremost calling as well. Pray for God's people every day. And and as for you yourselves, uh, you know you will accomplish nothing of, of lasting value if it's not done in God's strength, for which again you need uh, to pray. Uh, So pray for those in your charge. Pray for them when they ask for your prayers. But perhaps pray for them even more when they don't ask for your prayers, when, when they show that they really need your prayers. Uh, love them. Uh, be a merciful and faithful high priest like Christ has been for you. Uh, merciful to God's people and faithful to God who's called you. Uh, bear their burdens, their joys, but also their sins, their sufferings, and, and their miseries. Uh, and do so as as. As the Apostle Peter reminds us, do so not under compulsion, not just because you have to, but eagerly, or as he says, willingly, as a merciful and faithful high priest. Uh, That's how Christ also bears your burdens uh, as his people. Uh, Everything that Christ calls us to be, Christ himself is for us. 
And as we, as we do this, uh, we can also take comfort that just as the priests of old, uh, this is an office that you carry not by your own strength or your own worthiness. It's an office that Christ has given and that Christ will also honor. Uh, so, so as elders and deacons, uh, it's an office, you, you can know that it's an office that God has clothed you for, and that God uh, will also equip you for. And, and for this reason, uh, office bearers today can do their work even more boldly than the priests of old were able to do theirs, because we know that our shame, our sin, is not just covered with undergarments. It's not just hidden. It's truly taken away by the blood of Christ. Uh, So as elders and as deacons, the joy of your calling uh, today is you don't need to pretend. Uh, You don't need to put yourself on on a pedestal. You don't need to feign uh, righteousness. Uh, You don't need to be more righteous than your brothers. Instead, you have the freedom to minister as, uh, as one who himself has been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Uh, as one who himself is cared for by the constant care and protection and mercy of Christ. Now a word to the congregation. Uh, these men, as we've seen, have been given a calling by God. So make it a joy for them to carry that calling out. Uh, Remember their weaknesses, just as Aaron and his sons had many of theirs. Uh, Remember their weaknesses and have patience with them. Uh, Honor their calling as a calling given by God. And remember, it's not an easy thing to bear our burdens. Uh, So encourage your office bearers, uh, just as they seek to encourage you. Encourage them with the grace and the mercy of Christ. And as Peter says, the best way, the best way we can all do this is by all of us humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Uh, Paul says that in, or Peter says that in, in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The clothes that we wear uh, is the clothing of humility. Uh, And and that's a clothing that we wear in Christ as one who himself was first humble towards us, coming down to bear our burdens and not ashamed to call us his brothers. Uh, So let the elders and deacons certainly do their work in humility and let us as congregation likewise receive them with humility. Let's not resist them. Let's not disparage them. Let's not speak ill of them, but rather let us, like them, pray for them. And together with them, side by side, praying with them, casting together all of our anxieties on him, because he cares for us. Amen. Let's respond by singing together from hymn 38.